Well, thank you so much, David Harris, Colony of Mercy. Man, we need that reminder so much of God's power, of God's glory, and we need to remember God's faithfulness. And the reason why we need to be reminded that God is faithful is because sometimes we get disappointed and we forget about that. This morning, we're going to talk about how you react when you're disappointed. And it's so important because what you do when you're disappointed says a lot about who you are deep down. Here's the thing, you're going to get disappointed. It's part of living in a fallen world. People are going to break, uh, people will let you down. You're going to think that God lets you down and sometimes you let yourself down. Disappointment is a given. But what happens next? How you react is largely up to you. What you do when you're disappointed shows what you're made of and it demonstrates the sort of faith that you have. And here's the good news. If you could learn how to find hope in a faithful God when you get disappointed, you become set up for a more resilient life ahead of you. Now today, we're looking at the tragic story of someone who was disappointed and he reacted in a way where he crashed and burned. It's a story about someone who seemed to have it all together. He had mission, ambition. He had everything all together. God was using this man. He thought he was set up for success and a life of blessing ahead of him. And then he gets disappointed. Things don't work out the way he thinks they should. And when that happens, he quickly becomes a villain in the story of Easter. And we can learn a lot from him about the dangers of reacting to disappointment in harmful ways. We'd also learn about faith and the beauty of grace and trusting in God's great faithfulness. Today, of course, we are telling the tragic story of Judas Iscariot. He's a tragic figure in the story of Easter. But he's also someone who has a lot to teach us about how to handle disappointment, in his case, in the wrong ways or the worst way possible. We're in a sermon series called The Characters of Easter, and I just love talking about the story of the resurrection. I'm convinced that the next few weeks leading up to the celebration of the resurrection can be incredibly meaningful to each of us. It can be rest-giving and life-sustaining if you're willing to pause and listen to the greatest story ever told. Now, um, Fair warning, I'm covering a lot of information. I'll, I'll, in fact, be summarizing some of the verses that I'll only put on the screen in your handout. You'll get the most out of this if you read this, the verses you'll find in your bulletin. All right, everyone all set? Let's do this. I want to introduce you to Judas as if you've never heard that name before. That's a little tricky, right? Because most people know and associate the name Judas with betrayal. But somehow, believe it or not, if you went back in a time machine and you ended up in first century Israel the weeks before uh, Palm Sunday, if you somehow were able to interview the people who were the closest to and knew the most about Jesus of Nazareth, everybody would say that one of the most loyal, mature, gifted men in the whole cast of the early Christian movement was someone named Judas, the son of Simon. We don't get to hear the story about how uh, he heard about Jesus or how Jesus called him. We do, we do know this about Judas. He left everything. His whole career, his family, like everybody else, he left it all to follow Jesus. He was one of the 12, a big deal. 
crowds walked away from Jesus when Jesus taught hard things. When Jesus called people and it seemed inconvenient, lots of people walked away. But Judas, like for three years, he was attached to Jesus, 110%. And it's not like he was a spectator, he wasn't late to the game. He, I mean, think about this. Jesus gave Judas responsibility. Look at Luke 9, the first couple verses here. Uh, When Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them, so the 12, power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, you know who was one of the 12? Judas. Yeah, that Judas proclaimed the kingdom of God. Like, the man gave sermons. He healed sick. He's a leader. Like, people heard the gospel about Jesus from Judas Iscariot. There were, I mean, think about this. There were men and women who became Christians, heard about Jesus, followed Jesus, and their testimony sounded like hearing Judas Iscariot preaching the gospel. There's people whose sicknesses were healed because Judas healed them. I mean, imagine, right? Imagine, picture the early church. You're sitting around after the resurrection, and hey, how do you find out about Jesus? Oh, I heard this great sermon by this guy named Judas Iscariot, and that's how uh, how I started. Like, Like, this is the kind of guy that Judas was incredibly respected. If you knew Judas, like, you ever watch a Jesus movie, and as soon as you see Judas... First of all, he's like the ugliest guy in the group, right? <laughs> and and uh, the camera goes on Judas, and the, the music changes, and the lighting switches up. It wasn't like that, <laughs> like, in the real time. If you saw Judas in real time, if you heard him preach, you would be convinced that there were few people on the entire planet as passionate, as faithful as all in, as committed to the cause of Jesus as this man named Judas. Like people would be going, hey, I wonder how many books of the Bible this guy is going to write. Like, like that, that's, that's what we're talking about here. We don't know that much about Judas. Uh, scholars kind of, in my opinion, speculate a bit that the name Iscariot points to his geography and that he was from the southern region where people tended to be more on the anti-government side. So people speculate that uh, maybe Judas's drive was to uh, overthrow the government and gain power for himself. I mean, that's, that's possible, but it, it's also like a lot of the other disciples. Like you already know about John and Peter, these guys who, uh, they all had mixed motives. We could talk about Simon, like Kind of everybody wanted power at the point. Um, there are a couple hints, though, especially the book of John, that Judas seems to be motivated more than most by money. There's a story in John 6. I, I'm not, I'm not going to read this one. Um, long story short, uh, Mary anoints Jesus' feet with perfume, and all Judas thinks about is how much money that they could have used instead of putting on someone's feet. In, a, in the book of John, like Mark has a story. I, I put this one on the screen for a certain reason, but uh, John actually adds a little bit more to this psychology that uh, Judas may be saying we should use it for the poor, but 
really is caring about the, uh, the books in the organization, I guess. The reason why I have Mark on the screen is uh, all the Gospels put things in different orders, but Matthew and Mark, when they tell the story about Jesus or Judas being concerned about the money wasted on perfume, the very next thing that happens, see verse 6, uh, Jesus says, leave her alone, and one of the next lines is, then Judas goes to see the high priest to start arranging his betrayal. So Matthew and Mark seems to connect Judas's drive for money with betraying the Lord. Maybe, though, the final straw for Judas was a huge disappointment that he had. Judas was profoundly disappointed when he found out that Jesus wasn't going to help Judas find money and power. There's a story in John 6. We see this so vividly. I'll set it up this way. Jesus miraculously heals, uh, feeds thousands of people, and everybody loves Jesus, which is great. Like, if you're interested in power, popularity is what you're waiting for. You are ready. If you're Judas, you're ready to ride the wave of popularity and power. Uh, this is when we start winning, right? And Jesus takes this weird U-turn. Instead of embracing the crowds and going, this is great, instead of riding the wave to power, Jesus does something that really disappoints Judas, I think. Look at this. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, this should have been great. See what Jesus does, though? Jesus withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This isn't what the disciples signed up for. This would have disappointed every follower of Jesus who was working toward revolution. This is not how it's supposed to go. Look, uh, if you're trying to be king and you realize that everyone's going to make you king, what you're supposed to do is lean in, say, thank you, loyal subjects. Please don't mess my hair up when you put the crown on my head. Like that, that's what you're supposed to do if you're looking for power, right? What you don't, everybody knows this, don't do this, don't run away. What is Jesus thinking here? Jesus withdrew and Judas, imagine, he signed up to be close to the king, was really disappointed. All the blood, sweat, and tears he poured out for years working toward revolution. All the effort he put in to get close to the king, to get money and power and influence, Jesus just tosses it away. It gets worse. A couple verses later, John chapter 6, uh, Jesus walks on the water, demonstrates to the disciples his power over creation. The crowds approach Jesus and say, look, can you show us another miracle? This is really cool. And Jesus says, nope. And we're not really sure what he says next. But John describes it, and you can see it in your handout, as hard teachings. And everybody who's following Jesus for the food and the power and the celebrity, they just walk away. Because Jesus says, well, it seems to indicate that faith is hard. And in that moment, there's this interesting conversation. Jesus asks the disciples, I get it, this is hard. Are you guys going to leave too? And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Peter replies, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Judas, though, is seemingly silent. He, he stays 
Then here's what Jesus says next. This is verse 17 of John 6. Did I not choose you, the 12? I picked every one of you. But one of you is a devil. And John says he's referring to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, although he was one of the 12, was later going to betray him. It's speculative, I get it. But I'm convinced that in those moments, Judas, after putting so much time trying to get close to power, became disappointed. And he didn't know what to do. And he reacted poorly to disappointment and just did something dumb. You know what's easy? Um, it's really easy to give other people advice what to do when they're going through stuff. And I think every one of us could tell Judas, look, I get you're disappointed. I get that you've invested a lot of money and time and energy in something. It's, it's not going to work out the way you want it to. Jesus isn't going to sit on a throne in Jerusalem in a couple weeks. I get that you're angry at God for letting disappointments to happen. Judas, I know you're disappointed. You should, actually, you know, do this mental exercise in your head. If you could give a disappointed Judas advice, what would you tell him to do? You're disappointed. You're crushed. What do you think Judas should have done? He's tired. He's stressed and profoundly disappointed. Just, just say it to yourself, not out loud. What would you tell Judas? I'll bet some of you would tell him, look, wait it out. Don't do anything crazy. Uh, maybe talk to whoever you're disappointed with. I bet some of you are proactive. You tell him to change his circumstances, go move, go get something else to do. Some of you are really practical. You'd say you should probably sleep more, sleep on it, get some exercise. I always tell people to drink more water. It's just my go-to, I guess. Um, I'll bet all of you would say something different. But what you'd all say in common is you'd tell Judas, uh, don't do anything stupid, <laughs> right? Maybe don't take that meeting with a high priest. Uh, we'd all have that in common. We have something else in common, though. We're all really bad at taking our own advice, right? Because here's what happens. Most of us, when we're disappointed and we all get disappointed, you know what we all do? We do the wrong thing, right? I mean, what, what do you do personally when you're disappointed? I, I think most people, you could diagram it. Uh, when you're disappointed and everyone gets disappointed, all of us have a tendency to react in a couple directions. You could categorize most of them as fight or flight. Maybe you're not going to fight them by uh, betraying them with a kiss. You may not bring an army. You may not uh, escalate it with the military, but you may, I don't know, assault someone's character with gossip. You may uh, attack someone in some other way, or you may uh, flee. Like, think about all the crowd that just ghosted Jesus. They ran away. Sometimes you get disappointed, and you have a way of retreating. Maybe it looks like scrolling on your phone or switching channels on your TV. But you'll avoid the circumstances where you bottle it up deep inside. You don't deal with it. And think about for a second all of the different categories of harm that start when you're disappointed. Life throws a curveball at you. You don't understand why God is allowing this thing to happen. And most people resort to fight or flight, and we could give a thousand stories of the stupid things that human beings do in the face of disappointment. Today, though, I guess our theme is addiction. And my theory is that most substance abuse 
uh, as well, starts off as a simple escape mechanism. You're disappointed and you want to escape. And a substance can dull the pain of disappointment or boredom or loneliness. What I love about programs like Keswick is you know, they treat the cause, not just the symptoms. But talk to those guys about that. My job is to tell the story of Judas. And the story of Judas is that the devil uses disappointment and our moments of weakness to bring even death. Ultimately, like when, when you're profoundly disappointed, you've got three options. Fight, flight, I know this sounds simplistic, but the last option is faith. The thing that makes Judas different from all the other characters is not his level of disappointment. It is his inability to bring faith into the equation. He doesn't really believe that God is worthy of glory or that he really has great faithfulness. He doesn't really believe that God is worth trusting in or is sovereign. He does it really subtly, but you know, the Gospels give a little, some clues. Uh, here's one. The Gospels give all 12 disciples calling Jesus Lord, except Judas. Judas is always addressing Jesus as teacher. Uh, so you get that scene in Matthew. Uh, Jesus says, someone's going to betray us. And all the disciples say, surely not I, Lord. And Judas says, surely not I, Rabbi, which is a different, a difference. It seems like 11 guys are going, great is thy faithfulness. And Judas is going, okay, teacher. It's subtle, but it looks like when the other disciples are disappointed. It, it doesn't make it easier. It doesn't make it less agony, but they're going, I don't like this, it's painful, but somehow, God, you're in charge. Judas is like, it's not working out. Uh, you're a good teacher. Uh, I'm going to put your book on the back of my shelf. This is where the story of Judas gets personal, because there's still a crowd of people that love Jesus. But the question is, is it the same Jesus? Do American Christians really love the Jesus who says, take up your cross, who isn't content with being just one option in the menu of your life? The Jesus in the Bible demands your worship. And the truth is, we would just like to have him be another teacher that we listen to sometimes. We hesitate as much as Judas does to really call Jesus the Lord. And we, like Judas, are tempted to ride the Jesus train onto our own aspirations instead of submitting to where he's taking us. But Judas' story is, I mean, it's really not about Judas at all. He's a character in the story of Jesus. You know who else was disappointed? Jesus. Like, he knew he was getting betrayed by his friends. And he could have fought or he could have flew. He could have done anything. But instead, he trusted the Lord enough to love his enemies. There's that scene we've talked about a couple times in the Last Supper where, I mean, Jesus washes all 12 disciples' feet. He sits there with a towel, and they're all arguing about who's going to be the greatest. I mean, think about how this plays out. Jesus could have lashed out at his enemy. He could have avoided his enemy. You ever think about this? Jesus washes 
the feet of the one who already had the money in his pocket for sentencing Jesus to death. He's at a table, and you know, if you read this scene, it seems like Judas is leaning into Jesus, and Jesus isn't surprised. He, he says, behold, the hand of one who betrays me is here. He knows what's going on. And instead of fleeing or fighting, Jesus approaches Judas as a friend. He loves his enemies. When you're disappointed and you respond like Jesus does in faith instead of fight or flight, it makes you no longer a victim. <coughs> Jesus actually believes that whatever happens, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus actually believes that is part of a plan. And when you believe in God's great faithfulness, you are not forced into a corner where you have to escalate things or escape. Nothing that happens to Jesus catches God by surprise. <clears throat> There's an amazing verse in Acts, um, and Peter gives a sermon, and Peter says this, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you, talking to the crowd, you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Like, it does not get worse than that. And there's these two words that change everything. But God, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was in possible for death to keep its hold on him. You may get disappointed because you look at what's happening and you know, God, I, I, I know you know what's going on and I know what's going on is terrible. But God, I, man, I, this, is, this is a little off subject. I was thinking about the first time this week about those people who heard about Jesus from the preacher Judas. Like, can you imagine that guy? Like, uh, you may be able to kind of understand this because maybe you've seen good Christian leaders who seem like they got it all together, pastors, deacons, teachers, writers. I've seen good guys fall hard. Scandal, shame, awful stuff. And my first reaction is, was any of that real? Were they faking it the whole time? Were they lying to me? Do, do I still read their books, right? Can you imagine, though, if you started following Jesus because you heard a sermon about Jesus, Jesus from Judas? Like, can you imagine that? Um, my feeling is that Jesus is still real. The message is still true, even if his faith wasn't. That's just a tangent. This Easter, though, <clears throat> I want you to remember that you're going to get disappointed. And you've got some options what to do. You can fight. <coughs> you can run away. Or you can trust the Lord. And the tragedy is we all act more like Judas than we want to admit. We quickly put faith on the shelf. We go to fight or flight. We do dumb stuff that's destructive. But it doesn't have to be that way. If we confess our sins, God is faithful, he's just, he forgives us, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. While we're sinners, Christ died for us. 
And I'm convinced that if we are really able to see how great our God is and our faithfulness is, if you could see how God has a plan, even when we're profoundly disappointed, we're able to find faith and we're able to rejoice in God's loving arms, even when we face profound disappointment. So Father in heaven, can you help us when we're going through times that are good, when we're going through times that are bad, can we trust your great, powerful faithfulness? I recognize that it's harder than it sounds. <clears throat> Sometimes we don't understand. We don't understand why we see agony, and we can't imagine how it could be part of your plan. So God, give us patience. Give us a vision Give us a community to talk things over with. And can we see your glory and faithfulness around us in a powerful, compelling way. I ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.